Dave, if I asked you, who is the biggest star on local Chicago television today? Who would you say? No, it would be without question Tom Skelly. You know, as it turns out, you had a chance to talk. I to had Tom a chance Skelly. to talk with him. I, you weren't here for this. This uh, is interview. another one of those that you're like, <laughs> now nah, I'll handle it. I could, I could tell when there's a star that you really don't want to share. And yeah. Tom Skilling. Now, I have a Tom Skilling story. Can oh, I share it real quick? Yeah, do it. So, I was at WGN Studio. This is, I don't know, seven years, years ago. Whatever, yeah. five, six years ago. And I was introduced to Tom. At that point, I had never met Tom Skilling. Right. And I was introduced to him. And hi, you know, hi Dave. And it's like, Dave can't talk. There's a microburst going on. And he lo- he was so excited. You know? I think you could not have set up this interview any more perfectly. Uh, you'll hear, uh, we get into some weather minutia, and uh, you'll just hear the excitement in Tom's voice, uh, because it is time for Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Okay. Uh, so, Tom Skilling... Um, Obviously, the most famous weatherman in Chicago. I think that's fair to say. Oh, and, wow. And, I mean, you have been here <laughs> since 1978 at WGN TV. That's a long time. Um, you know, I'll tell you, Rick, I've seen yeah. a, a lot of weather around here. You know, the first year I started turned out to be the snowiest winter in Chicago weather history. It included the Jane Byrne, Michael Belandic blizzard. Oh, yeah. And that year... 78, 79, we had snowstorms. The first one arrived December 1st, and we had a snowstorm, I think, something like every two weeks from that point forward. So by the time the Jane Byrne Michael Belandic blizzard came along, uh, we had quite a snowpack on the ground. In fact, if memory serves me correctly, um, that January featured the deepest cover of snow that uh, had been recorded in Chicago because of the, the collective storms. So we were really in tough shape. And, of course, Blandy got up and said, oh, you know, the city is operating the way it always does. And everybody knew, no, it wasn't. Um, we weren't even able to move on the side streets around here. And the poor streets and sand folks and, and people charged with getting rid of the snow couldn't figure out where to put it all. And I remember they piled it up along the lakefront uh, in various locations, and those piles of snow didn't melt until June. And I it remember was really that. amazing. Yeah. yeah, they were like mountains of snow. Mountains, <laughs> and you know what was interesting? The northern hemisphere had gone through a cooling cycle superimposed on this warm-up that's been ongoing for you know over a century. But from the late 40s uh, through the late 70s, northern hemispheric temperatures cooled. So collectively, the winters of the 1970s here in Chicago were the worst winters in terms of cold and snow that we had ever had up to that point. And they continue as a group to be the worst decade of winters in Chicago weather history. And our weather history goes back to the Chicago fire because all the weather records up to that point have been burned. And that's why our weather record begins here in Chicago in 1871. All the decades up to that point um, had been uh, quite docile compared to the 1970s. 
Um, and the reason we were cooling, uh, it now appears, is because industry started up after the end of World War II, and there were oxides of sulfur that tend to block sunlight that uh, uh, were in the atmosphere. And so we superimposed a period of cooling on what has otherwise been a warming climate. And the decade of the 70s resulted, and of course, we in Chicago will never forget those winters because after every snowstorm, you had sub-zero cold. That was the year I started, uh, in, in the wow. era in which I started here. So it was really interesting. Now, obviously, the, the, the way you report the weather has changed dramatically since those days. I mean, what, oh, were yeah. you still like uh, using, uh, you know, blackboards at that time? Yeah. It, it kind of was like that, wasn't it? Oh, you know, we had the uh, the classic plexiglass board uh, with flow pens that would leak. And, uh, you know, there's a story that uh, John Drury was leading into um, into uh, Harry Volkman's weather show during this era of flow pens. And Harry hadn't realized that he put the pen in his pocket and it had leaked. So uh, they're in the toss to weather with John Drury, who had just reported on a plane crash in Poland. And uh, he turns to Harry and starts laughing because Harry's entire shirt was bathed in black ink from this flow <laughs> pen. And uh, people called and thought he was laughing at the plane crash, and that wasn't it at all. He was laughing at Harry's uh, leaking flow pen that we had all dealt with up to that point. So, yeah, that's the way we did the weather. Either that or we had these little magnetic highs and lows that would blink. There was a polarized light shining down on the weather set. And there'd be this uh, track on which this polarized glass was rotated in front of this light. And it sent down polarized light that made your little magnetic highs and lows appear to blink. So that was the era uh, in, in, you know, in which we did the weather in the 60s and 70s. It was kind of gimmicky and everything else. I ended up working with a puppet up in Milwaukee, uh, which was not my first choice on how to do the weather. I, I, when I was going to school in Madison... My fellow students from Milwaukee would say, you know what you need? I was doing part-time weather in Madison. You need a puppet. And I said, no, I don't need a puppet. Please. But I ended up, I was down in Jacksonville, Florida, working at the NBC affiliate for a year. And I couldn't wait to get back to the Midwest. And the phone rang one day. And here it was, WITI Milwaukee, home of Albert the Alley Cat, the puppet. And they said, look, the puppets came in the 1960s uh, from a, a cartoon show we did in the morning and he was teamed up with Ward Allen who did the weather for many years on, on Channel 6 WITI and he, they said he's going back to the kids show we want a more scientific approach to the weather but would you work with the puppet for a little bit <laughs> and the Milwaukee Journal picked up on that and published the fact that Albert the Alley Cat was going back to the cartoon show and Oh, the mail started arriving in bags. I remember one letter in particular said, if you take Albert off, it's like killing our family pet. Uh, you know, and literally, Rick, the uh, the mail was piled in our news director's office from the floor to the ceiling uh, on that. So that's how I, you know, I started working in Milwaukee. Um and uh, at any rate, I I hope the era of weather puppets has passed, uh, you know, but it was interesting. I never, you know, I got a kick out of how much 
uh, how the viewers there got a kick out of Albert. Uh, yeah. It was really quite interesting. Now, if, if am I uh, mistaken in my memory? But didn't you also work as a DJ for a while in in Milwaukee? Oh yeah. Well, you know, not in Milwaukee, no. but I'll tell you, I started uh, in in radio only because um, I'll tell you, I wrote the radio station when I moved from New Jersey. My family, my dad used to commute into New York out there. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I don't remember that. I only lived there two years. And then we, my dad was transferred out to New York City, and we lived in New Jersey, and he would commute in. I got a weather map publication every day from Washington, D.C. as a kid. It was published by the superintendent of documents there. And I would get it mailed from Washington the next day. And for a young person, the only way you got real weather maps was through this publication. There was no Internet back in those days or anything like that. So when I moved out here, my dad was transferred out to Aurora in 1965. I was in the seventh grade, and um, he was transferred out here by Henry Pratt Company, which was the scene of that terrible shooting a couple of years ago. But um, they sell huge industrial valves to power plants and water treatment facilities and so forth. And that's what my dad did as a mechanical engineer. Um, so I got out here and my weather map was arriving four days late, uh, from Washington, DC. So I wrote a radio station and, uh, said, can you get me some weather maps? I thought a radio station could do anything. I'm told the letter was eight pages. Uh, and, and I had the audacity to suggest to them that, um, I'll do a better forecast for you out here in Aurora than you're getting from Chicago. Well, they thought the idea of a 14-year-old youngster on the air doing the weather was kind of intriguing. And we went, the program director from the station, I drove into Chicago to Woodlawn Avenue, the University of Chicago campus, which is where the then Weather Bureau had its forecast office. And uh, they did the forecast for Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. And as well as the Chicago area, and I'd get on the train and come in. I mean, you know, while other kids my age were going to ball games, I was going into the Weather Bureau office. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, they had the radar, the ray dome within sight of the Museum of Science and Industry uh, at the time. It later moved out to Marseilles and then its current position in Romeoville. But um, that was something. So that's how I got into broadcasting. I'd hang around the radio station on the weekends and cut the grass and wash the windows and uh, they uh, they had a lot of uh, phone company guys there because they had radio telephone operators licenses that allowed them to you know you run the transmitters and so I went in and took my third class radio telephone operators license and my intention of hanging around the radio station was uh, you know to do the weather uh, but they put me on the FM station and so I did DJing there and I done when I went up to school at the University of Wisconsin I did some DJ work there again, hoping to have a weather show opportunity on the affiliated TV station. And lo and behold, when I went up to Madison, I, I, there was a weekend opening and they put me on the air to do DJing. And the weather guy at the uh, affiliated ABC, they, they, had, they were associated with the ABC affiliate, came down with spinal meningitis three months after I started working there and nobody wanted to do the weather. It was rip and read uh, weather at the time they did in that market. So they said, look, kid, we're going to throw you on the air. You haven't even done an audition. And if you work fine, if not, uh, that's it for your career in Madison. So that's how I started doing weather when I was going to the University of Wisconsin up in Madison. 
And uh, the rest is history. I, I went down to Jacksonville, Florida, to Milwaukee, and then uh, came down here to Chicago. Jacksonville was interesting because I had a chance to – the Navy hurricane hunters were flying out of there at the time. And uh, I had a chance to fly on one of their missions and I subsequently had a chance to fly with the Air Force out of Biloxi, Mississippi, which is where a lot of the recon flights uh, that the Air Force Reserve runs uh, come out of. So it's, it's been an interesting career. Wow. Eric, so, but you. so you've always been like this <laughs> since yeah. you were, yeah, since I've been you were very, very young. <laughs> oh, yeah. My my parents couldn't figure me out. Uh, they they couldn't figure out where in the heck this weather is. And I don't know. I had a psychic tell me one time that I was a ship captain in a previous life. <laughs> well, I don't know whether... I don't know whether I believe that or not, but but uh, it's as good an explanation as I could come up with on where this weather thing came from because nobody in the family had uh, had worked in meteorology. But, Rick, it's been a passion of mine, and I'll tell you, I turned 72 this month as I approach my day-to-day -day retirement, uh, retirement from day-to-day -day activities, and I'm telling you, I've never been more interested in the weather than I am today. I've... I've had a front row seat to a science that has undergone revolutionary change. And yeah. a lot of it originated from Madison, which is the birthplace of satellite meteorology, the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I could I sat in classrooms and watched as a student up there in the early 70s these animations of in real time of landfalling hurricanes or of thunderstorm complexes developing here in the Midwest. And we had never seen anything like that before. And all I could think is, wow, um, if you could bring this to television, how interesting um, a tool this would be in communicating the weather. And of course it has become that. And now we get it on our handheld devices and we, you know, we take this for granted, but the, the, the development of the weather satellite as a tool of in, in analyzing our global weather enabled us for the first time to peer down on the 70% of the planet that's ocean and therefore poorly observed and, and derive data that we can then feed into our computer models. And it makes computer modeling uh, possible. Um, so it's it's been an interesting half century in meteorology and more uh, in which to, to do what I do. So uh, looking back now on I got my two biggest questions, uh, I know yeah. you have this incredible career in Chicago. When you look back at it, uh, and now huh. you're you're heading toward the last few weeks here. Um, yeah. What are the what are the memories that stick out to you the most that uh, you're the have your fondest memories from your time in Chicago? Well, I, I guess you always rem remember the major weather events that you covered. Uh, you mentioned one of them, the, uh, the blizzards and snowstorms of the 1970s. I remember the first 26 below zero temperature in, in January 1982, where it was so cold that literally the buildings were creaking and none of our cars started out in the parking lot. And at the time, uh, you know, the, the wisdom, the, the climatologist told us this was a once in 300 year event. And we did it the following weekend again. And then in 85, we went down to 27 below zero, our coldest temperatures ever. Then uh, you know, we had a series of snowstorms, I remember, and I remember 
this ice storm at the end of my uh, work up in Milwaukee um, that at one point had 600,000 people without electricity. And uh, it rained four inches into a 27-degree atmosphere up there, and it coated everything with ice, brought trees crashing down, power lines coming down. Um, at one point, the state had to rush trans uh, uh, generators out to dairy farms because the electric milking equipment went down with the power failure, and they had to get you know get some electricity to the farmers there. Uh, but here in Chicago, I, you know, I remember the 1995 heat wave. It, to this day, the deadliest natural disaster in Chicago weather history. You know, up to that point, heat had been considered an inconvenience. And, you know, if you dared complain about a hot day in summer, people would say, hey, it's summer. <laughs> this happens, right. you know. But we didn't realize it killed people. And uh, one of the fellows I worked with uh, when we were doing the Tribune page, we brought uh, 40 amazingly talented meteorologists uh, under our roof as we produced the Chicago Tribune weather page. And one of them was Paul Daly, who I'd called when I realized we had a chance to do the Tribune weather page. And I said, Paul, you, you interview more meteorologists than, than I do. Do you see anybody who would look promising? You know, we can't get somebody fresh out of school. We've got to get, this is the Chicago Tribune, and we've got to get some really competent people. And Paul said to me, look, there are four of us ready to retire. I'll be over tomorrow. And uh, that put together the group with whom I worked, and that was fascinating. Paul Daly, Steve Kahn. Richard Koneman, uh, Paul Merslock, Dennis Haller, who was had worked on forecasting the weather for the space shuttles when he was with NASA, and he went on to the National Meteorological Center and then came out here to the Chicago forecast office and joined our staff. We had another fellow who was one of the best winter snow forecasters in the business, Al Morrison, who before he joined us died suddenly in the late in his late 50s he was in wonderful shape we thought but he played basketball tuesday nights and was driving home from one of these basketball games and killed over on the wheel at the wheel and he never joined us but i talked to al over the decades he had worked up in the milwaukee office when i was up there and then came down to chicago uh, as had Richard Koneman, who who had spent 10 years putting the entire Chicago climatological database on computer. And I remember he would do the most interesting uh, presentations at our American Meteorological Society chapter meetings. And he was the one who, for instance, examined the, deck of the winter of the 1970s, the winters of the 70s, and first concluded, uh, uh, you know, that those were the worst winters in our history around here. So this is the kind of talent I brought uh, brought in, was able to bring in, thanks to WGN, to work with us. And we had a ball uh, producing that weather page. And Paul Daly was called in. Um, you know, the Daly administration was surprised by all the deaths. I could remember a soundbite with Mayor Daly, and they said, you know, Mayor Daly, they, they called me from the desk uh, on a Saturday and said, have you heard what's happening with this heat uh, in the area? They've, they've had so many fatalities that the coroner's office has had to bring refrigerated semis, uh, trucks in, yeah. to handle the bodies that were pouring in. We didn't realize um, how deadly heat was. We, we knew it was an inconvenience, but it, it, it became clear to us that it was killing people. And 
Daly, uh, Paul Daly, uh, worked with John Wilhelm, who was the uh, city health commissioner, and together they started poring over all the morbidity and mortality stats and looking at the meteorological conditions at which people started to die and quantifying those. And, of course, the city, uh, after that, came up with a plan to open cooling centers. God only knows how many lives have been saved by that effort. And Paul Daly was instrumental in making that happen. And he was, you know, he came in with the the whole group that worked with me on our weather page. And so it's amazing. We did 38 years of tornado seminars for the public out at Fermilab. They have a beautiful facility there and opened it up to us uh, as a venue for doing these tornado programs. And we literally invited the who's who of the uh, tornado and severe weather research community and forecast community through those those sessions that were incredibly attended. And we would pack that auditorium. There were so many people that visited with us on our uh, tornado seminars each spring out at Fermilab that they literally would close circuit televise uh, the program into adjacent uh, lecture rooms because we couldn't accommodate everybody in the auditorium. And that was amazing. Yeah. So I'll tell you, there are lots of things like that. And I, I remember Gosh, the Plainfield tornado, the day that happened. I remember as a kid uh, witnessing the 67, April 21st, 1967 tornado outbreak. Um, I mean, that that produced the Oak Lawn tornado and the Belvedere tornado. Um, And we did a 50-year retrospective visit to Belvedere and talked to now grown men who were just kids getting out of that school bus that was let out of school as that tornado came in. And the bus driver told them, get out of here and run to the field and lay down. And we talked to the survivors uh, who went through that. One of the young people told me a story. He said, I was on that bus and the bus driver told us, get out of here, run out to the field and lay down in a ditch. And he said, there was a little girl who was a classmate of his who was frightened, and he said, I took her in my arms, and I said, don't be frightened, and the two of us ran off. He said he was knocked out by all the debris that flowed. I, I think there were 28 young people killed in that uh, that cornfield by that storm, and he said, when I awakened, he said, I've been knocked unconscious. She was dead in his arms. Oh, my and, God. Uh, he he said, I can't even, he said, no, they didn't call in psychologists to help us deal with that. We had to figure out how to deal with that ourselves. Right. And he said, it forever changed the way I looked at storms coming into the area. Wow. So I'll tell you, it, it, yeah, there have been amazing moments like that through this career that and, I'll never and, forget. And now that it's uh, coming to an end, uh, you're getting all these tributes. Uh, uh, yeah. What, um. What is the most wow. meaningful one that you've gotten so far? I mean, I've I've seen a bunch of them. You know, I saw even the Wiener Circle put your name up there. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bill Murray did a tribute to you when yeah. you were doing the ground. I mean, what are some of the things that have meant the most to you? Oh, Rick, I there have been so many of them that I never expected this kind of outpouring. Never. Uh, 
Uh, this this is amazing, and the station has uh, put these pieces together. Uh, I can't even pick a single one. I'm just moved to the core of my being by the outpouring. Um, you know, I've always kind of thought the weather person. I remember John Colvin years ago said that uh, Chicago is Broadway for weathermen. And I thought, you know, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, it there is, I've always thought there's a unique connection between the weather person uh, and the audience uh, in the newscast. We, we kind of, you know, it's an unusual role that we fill because we're covering a medium, this atmosphere of ours that has an impact on our everyday lives, whether it's as simple as causing us to dress differently, to deal with the weather that we're going to walk through on the way to work or move to, you know, to school or uh, out, work outside in it. So and um, there are not two sides of every issue. Uh, you know, you're the weatherman. There's one weather <laughs> and that we're all living yeah, through the same thing. Right. Absolutely. It's it's kind of a unifying <laughs> experience we go through when we deal with a snowstorm or a tornado outbreak or just the sunny skies after a long period of cloudy weather. I mean, it really, it affects our psychology. We know it affects the way medicines work, uh, whether we're able to work, whether we're able to get to school or how easily we do that every day. So so we have the, the rather the privileged uh, position of communicating uh, what's the, to happen with this, this weather that affects us. So, so now uh, it's uh, closing up. You're, you're going to walk away from your day-to-day... Uh, job yeah. at WGN. What are you going to do? Are you going to go chase tornadoes? Are you going to... Uh... You know, <laughs> that, that, Rick, is a work in progress. Okay. Let me tell you something. I'm, I'm moving into uncharted territory here. I've had, I've worked since I was a teenager. I worked every day that I, I go to work at WGN. I started at 8 in the morning here at home, and I work right through 11 o'clock at night. I go into the station after doing all my pulling down model stuff on all my from all my computer models and analyzing them and trying to make sense out of what nature may have for us and and the modeling that's done today is is stunning um, we have such an array and such a, a data available to us as we and we really have a fighting chance of figuring out what nature has planned for us uh, in a way that uh, has evolved over my years of doing this. I, you know, it's an open book. What I do, I'd like to speak. Um, you know, I've, I'm even talking to uh, a colleague of mine, Steve Bertrand, who started a travel service. I've been going up to Alaska since 1980. I, it's been amazing to me to watch the weather, uh, and the climate shift up at the high latitudes. I mean, the changes there are just stunning that I've seen in my lifetime. I've been going out to Hawaii. Um, I, I, little did I think I'd ever be doing that, but I've fallen in love with that. I, I've always had a love of the ocean. I, I just think that we human beings are uniquely related to this ocean, these oceans uh, from which life, you know, sprung uh, in the, you know, we came out of the primordial oceans. Well, and you um, in particular in a previous life uh, were a, were yeah. a sailor, right? So I mean, well, <laughs> well, that's what I—that's what the psychics tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if that's true, I really have a close relationship with it. But you know, I remember as a kid growing up in New Jersey, what you did in the summers, you went down to the ocean, and I—I I remember watching the waves crash, and there was always uh, something. Uh, 
I don't know, uh, divine about that. I thought, you know, these waves have crashed on these shores since the beginning of time and before any of us uh, came to life, and they will continue to crash long after all of us return to the soil as dust. Yeah. And I you know there's just something kind of profound about that but I I love the feel of it uh, watching the waves come in I I live on the shores of Lake Michigan here in Chicago on the north side of the city and I have all 45 years I've worked here uh, I love the water and I I it, to watch it interact with the atmosphere is is absolutely fascinating to me and I think always will be so I'll enjoy I'm not leaving Chicago I'll I'll divide my time between up, I may have a chance to go up to Alaska I have a little place out there with my roommate south of Anchorage I may finally get a chance to spend a little time up there and and maybe introduce people to the the area there I the, that Alaska is just a gem in our crown, our national crown here. You wonder what the czar was thinking when he sold it to us. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it really is amazing. And it's an amazing place to watch the atmosphere interact with the terrain and the ocean up there and the bitterly cold interior of the state. And, and Hawaii is the same way. You know, we've all heard about that tragedy at Lahaina where – uh, the, the fire spread yeah. in the strong winds that blow out there. I mean, what a tragedy. People lost everything they worked for. And there's not a person I talk to in Hawaii that doesn't have some connection with the relatives or the effort to try and help folks in the wake of that disaster. So, you know, Rick, I, I'll travel a little bit, but I'm going to continue to live here in Chicago and divide my time between Alaska and Hawaii and and I hope to continue speaking uh, on climate change and the weather and and uh, perhaps take people up there. So those and the stations come to me and suggested maybe I could continue putting in some appearances on severe weather coverage and and doing uh, some special reports over the years. So we're exploring that. Okay. Um, well, that's good. But to yeah, hear. I'm not I'm not going to die. Uh, you know, there's a. A funereal quality. Everybody says, oh, you're leaving now. And I think, my God, they're, they're not putting me in a box and six feet under quite yet. You know, maybe they will one of these days, but I hope it'll be a later rather than sooner, you know, uh, that they do that. Well, thank you very much for uh, spending time with me. I appreciate it. Oh, uh, Rick, how nice to talk to you. I'm sorry to be so long-winded. Oh, my I love it. I love it. You are like the most authentic person uh, I've ever huh. talked to. I mean, you well, are t- who you appear to be. You are. <laughs> yeah, Rick, what you see is what you get. You know, my. Uh, I, I'll tell you, and it's it's been a. It's been an absolute privilege to do what I've done where I've done it at one of the great television stations in the world. And so it's it's been fun talking to you, Rick. uh, Thanks for your interest in this. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. You you take care and happy Friday, Rick. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Tom Skilling. Here's my love advice. Okay. You know, Valentine, find someone that loves you as much as Tom Skilling loves the weather. And you will always be happy. That is a, to, totally the truth right there. Uh, I, I, not, I mean, I enjoy doing this podcast. Yeah. I do not have the passion for this podcast <laughs> like Tom Skilling has. But you got to love him. And I, I, Chicago television is not going to be the same. He's He was he made a 
ton of money for that television station. He did. And uh, if you if you live in Chicago, you know that the WGN uh, newscasts are, you know, a, an hour long and about. 37 minutes of it, it is, is Tom, Tom Skilling. Skilling. Right, right. So it's a big right. loss. Right. The murders is just a, yeah. it's just to set up Tom's weather. Basically. Yes. So thank you, Tom Skilling, for being on the show. Thank you to our executive producer, Tony Lasana with Opie Shows. Uh, Opie is hippo backwards. We need to thank Ed Silla uh, from the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at Radiomisfits.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? Oh, I had a psychic tell me one time that I was a ship captain in a previous life.